1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, where John writes, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father, and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things, so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from Him, and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. What a great passage of Scripture for us this morning to consider. The discussion, the study is about John the Apostle, under the inspiration of the Spirit, conveying to us and to his readers that he has seen and heard and touched the Lord Jesus Christ. And he recognizes that this Lord Jesus Christ is in fact eternal life. He's the source and substance the avenue whereby we attain eternal life. And he says, this one that I have seen and heard and, and I've, I've, I've touched, this one I want to declare to you. And I want to tell you about this because in order for us to have real fellowship, we have to have fellowship with God. In order to have fellowship with God, we have to know Christ. And if you want to have an overflowing joy that results in fellowship with other people, you have to have an understanding and a fellowship with God. And so he says in verse 5, this is the message then. Because I want you to have fellowship with God, I want you to have fellowship with Christ, so you can have fellowship with one another, I have a message for you, and that is, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. You can't say that you have fellowship with God who is light while walking in darkness. These two things are contrary to one another. This is the message he conveys to us, but he gives us so much. God gives us so much. Relationships require attention. Neglect. Jealousy. Miscommunication and misjudgment can really damage a relationship. 
for a relationship to be mutually beneficial, there needs to be areas of common agreement. There's a statement that God makes through the prophet Amos in Amos 3.3. He says this simple statement. It's a question, really. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Well, that makes us have some questions. Because I suppose two people can have an argument while they're walking down the street, can't they? (laughs) However, if I say to you, let's get together for coffee, and you say, sure, and we don't ever establish a time or a place, how are we going to have coffee? Or if we say, let's go on vacation, but you want to go to Maine and I want to go to Florida, are we going to get this done? The answer is no. You can't travel together unless you agree upon a time and a location. And you can't travel together unless you're going to go to the same place. Well, this is true about relationships. If we don't agree, we can't get where we're supposed to go. Our relationships with one another are intimately tied to our relationship with God. Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 make clear work of that statement. Later on, I would uh, submit to you, you should spend some time reading through Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 and see the relationship between a walk in the Spirit and how it flushes out in life and how a person that is uh, word-filled, how that fleshes out. Both the Spirit-filled and the Word-filled relationships called for in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3 are then followed up with all kinds of human relationships in the way that we work that out in life. A relationship that ignores offenses will eventually have radical problems. Chew on that one for a moment. A relationship that ignores offenses will eventually have radical problems. When offenses arise, it is essential that we solve these offenses or a wall will begin to be erected. We'll start to put a gap between us and someone else. There's only so long you can ignore a problem before it starts to rear its ugly head. This morning, we want to talk about the basis of true fellowship from this passage we've already read on a couple of occasions already. The first concept we want to recognize is in verse 9. Fellowship with God is based upon honesty. It says in verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins. The contrast to that is found in verses 6, 8, and 10. In verse 6, he says, If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In that passage, he's saying, If we say we're no longer sinning, we're lying, essentially. We're lying if we say we no longer sin. In verse 10, he goes even a step further. He says, If we say we have not sinned, that's in the perfect tense, Essentially, if you say you've never sinned, you're calling God a liar and his word is not in you. 
So can you see in verses 6, 8, and 10, he says, you can't say you're walking in the light, walking with God while you walk in darkness. In verse 8, you, you can't say you don't sin any longer, because that that's, means that God's truth isn't, isn't doing its work in you. And if, if you really want to see the, the ultimate end to it, if you say, I don't ever sin, you're, you're really, you've got a real problem. You're calling God a liar. The truth is not working in you. It's dishonesty. It's dishonesty. He says, if, in verse 9, if we confess our sins, we'll talk more about that confession of sins in a couple of moments. What we're talking about right now is fellowship is based upon honesty. We have to admit, we have to admit that we're sinners. We have to admit that we sin. This is to be right with the Lord. He moves a little further. There's a really important passage, a statement that he makes next in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he says, He is faithful. He is faithful. Fellowship with God is based upon God's faithfulness. And so while we admit our sins and being honest, right now we want to trust in God's faithfulness. There's a reason why you and I would be willing to tell God everything. Everything. Fully admit our sins. There's a reason we would be willing to do that. It's because we know who he is. We've seen the track record of God's faithfulness. It is on every page of the Scriptures. As you read from Genesis through Revelation, you're constantly seeing that God will never forsake His own. We see it time and again. I want to just look at a few examples for our, um, for our encouragement. Because if we want to, to be willing to do what's right, to be in a right fellowship with the Lord, we, we, want, to, we want to be able to go with, with an unashamed face before the Lord. We, we want to trust in God's faithfulness. So take a look, please, with me at Exodus chapter 2. It's the second book in the Bible, so go all the way to the left. If you find Genesis, take a right. Exodus chapter 2. The people of Israel in this setting, they've been in the land of Egypt because of the famine that had taken place. God delivered His people Israel through Joseph, when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was sold into the slavery to the people in Egypt. His family comes. We know the story of Joseph. And the people now have been in the land of Egypt for a long time. Another king rises to the throne who does not know Joseph. Joseph is gone, and the people are in slavery, and they are hating life. They cry out to the Lord. Verse 23. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. There's this, this statement that lets us know that the people in their cry to God, God hears their prayer. God remembers the covenant He has made, and God knows their distress. But the reason we're here is to recognize 
God's deliverance of the people of Israel from Egypt was based upon his faithfulness to promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God is faithful. This is the testimony of Scripture, time and time again. Take a look at 2 Chronicles. You're going to take a right through your Bible. 2 Chronicles, you'll see 1 and 2 Kings. Before that, 1 and 2 Samuel. So 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. If you're in Ezra or Nehemiah, take a left. 2 Chronicles, chapter 36, right at the end of 2 Chronicles. Interestingly, that 2 Chronicles 36 ends the way that Ezra 1 starts. God is reminding us of this covenant faithfulness that he has for his people. In 2 Chronicles 36, look at verses 22 and 23. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. What, why are we reading this? The word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah was being fulfilled in that God was stirring up the heart of an unsaved, defiant, rebellious king. God stirred his heart to action. Why? Because God fulfills his promises. God is faithful. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, listen to these words. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Did you know that that verse of Scripture, that fullness of time when God sent His Son, is a fulfillment of a promise that God had made to Adam and Eve back in Genesis chapter 3? Everything God says He will do, he does. Every promise he makes, he keeps. And we're in 1 John chapter 1. This is our study this morning. And it says, if we confess our sin, he is faithful. You can count on it. I can count on it. I don't have to wonder. Maybe I have done this once too many times. Maybe this time when I come, God will say, I've had enough. You'll never find that with God. You'll never find Him saying, I've had enough when you come to Him on His terms. If you want to come on your own terms, that is another matter altogether. But when you come to God on His terms, which means we admit it, God, here I am. My flesh, my sin, my passions, I've allowed them to rule me. I've allowed my covetousness to take a hold of me. I've allowed bitterness to set in. I've allowed resentment to build. I've allowed, allowed unkindness, 
unforgiveness. I've allowed that to reside within me. God, I, I need you. This is wrong. I know it. I know it's wrong. What will God say? Well, I've heard you one too many times. No. He is faithful. He is faithful. This means every time you come to him on his terms, every time you come, he listens, he remembers, he knows, and he fulfills his promise. He's a forgiving God. What a merciful God we serve. God's constancy and forgiveness should serve as a model for you and for me to be willing to forgive others who hurt us again and again. Now, of course, God's forgiveness is conditioned upon someone coming appropriately, right? So there's this willingness to forgive. There's this holding forth forgiveness if a person will come and receive that forgiveness. A real relationship is not just one way. It's not just you forgive, forgive, forgive with this person never admitting, 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 never confessing, 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 never repenting, repenting, repenting. So there's repentance and forgiveness. How can we, as models of our Heavenly Father, offer forgiveness to those who are not asking it? Well, we can hold it out. We can let people know. Listen, the way that you dealt with me isn't right. But I want to make it right. I want it to be right. As much as lies within me, I'm to dwell peaceably with all men. That's Romans chapter 12, isn't it? We'll be getting there. It's coming. Faithfulness. God's faithfulness is modeled to us and we want to demonstrate it. Ephesians 4.32 says this, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. So, Admit it, right? Be honest. Fellowship is based upon honesty. Fellowship is based on God's faithfulness, and we trust in God's faithfulness. Head back to 1 John chapter 1 with me, please, and we want to look at another concept. Actually, you don't need to turn there because, honestly, I'm just going to read one couple of words. So turn to Romans chapter 3 instead. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just. That's the next concept that we want to note. God is faithful and just. Fellowship with God is based upon God's justice. And in light of God's justice, we want to worship Him. In Romans chapter 3, we've studied this and we've referenced this passage many times. There's an important doctrinal word that comes in this, in this passage. It's the term propitiation. It's a great word. Probably don't throw that around on Tuesday morning at the you know, water fountain. Propitiation is the settlement, settlement of God's wrath against our sin. Sin and God 
diametrically opposed. This is why God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. God is not in league, in fellowship with sin. Sin is an offense to God. Sin calls forth God's justice. Sin calls forth God's wrath. You believe that? Does God have a right to judge sinners? Yes. The Bible makes that clear from Genesis 1-1 to the end of Revelation chapter 22. God has a right to judge sin. God justly takes care of sin in this beautiful way of propitiation. We're in Romans chapter 3. Take a look at verses 21 and following. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested or shown forth apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Look down at verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all who trust Christ, all who have faith in Christ, are justified by His grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Stop right there. There's more that we could read. But the concept that we need to get is that God put forth His Son. It's almost like you see this altar, and God takes His Son and puts His Son on this altar. Here's my sacrifice. What's the sacrifice? This is what I'm going to do to take away your sin. This is what I'm going to do to satisfy the just demands that I have against your sin. I will provide something that will satisfy the right requirement that I have against sin. God sets forth His Son as a once for all perfect, satisfying, settling payment for sin. This is what propitiation is. And how is propitiation received in this verse? Verse 25. Whom God put forth as a propitiation by His blood. Ready? To be received by faith. What, is, what does that mean? God says, believe. Believe in what I have set forth to pay for your sin. Believe. Embrace my way. This again is coming to God on His terms. God set forth this sacrifice. God set forth this offering. God is the one who has provided what is satisfactory to Him. How do we engage with it? Believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This is trusting God. All who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. God set forth His Son as a propitiation by His blood and it's received by faith. Alright, so let's put this back into our context 
in 1 John chapter 1. God is light, in Him is no darkness. Okay, well, what if I've sinned? Don't, don't tell me you haven't sinned. He tells us that in verse 6, 8, and 10. What do I do about my sin? If we confess our sin, God is faithful, it means He'll do it every time, and just. That means He's actually done something to bring about the forgiveness that He tells us. He is just to do what? To cleanse us from all sin. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what God does to all who call upon Him. As a, as a believer, I, you know, we, we go through our days. Some days are better than others. But there are things that come across our, our pathway every day Sometimes our mind is drawn toward the old way of living. Whether it be covetousness, anger, malice, hatred, lust, gluttony, whatever the case may be, all of these are contrary to God's way. What do I do when I recognize that my mind has gone in this direction and I've catered to what I desired? Now I've, I've involved myself in gluttony or I've involved myself in, in malice or anger. What do I do? The Bible says, confess your sin. To whom? To whom? If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who, who are we going to? We go to Him. We go to Him. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5 that there is one God and one mediator between God and man, or men, the man Christ Jesus. How do we come to God in a way to, to confess our sin so that we'll be right with Him? We come through Christ. And so we say, Lord, Lord, I see my sin and I see what you have done through the blood of Jesus Christ. I'm wrong. I need your forgiveness. And what does God do when a person comes to Him confessing their sin? He forgives. He's faithful. And He's just. The payment has been made. The payment has been made. It's done. God's already accepted it. How do I know? He raised him up from the dead by the spirit of holiness, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And God has caused him to ascend into heaven. And Jesus has sat down at the right hand of God. The work is done. It's finished. So what do I do? The Bible tells me, and back in 1 John chapter 1, and verse 9, to confess my sin. The word there is homologeo in the Greek. It means to say the same thing about my sin that God says. Well, that's hard. That is really hard. Because you and I, we tend to see sin the way we see sin. Well, this is a little small one over here. I just you know, didn't, didn't tell the whole truth. This is a really big one over here. Um, I stole some money. This one over here, eh, you know, I just... I just cheated a little bit on, on my time card. We don't have time cards anymore, but you know what I mean. <laughs> I stole some time. Over here, well, I, I was uh, looking on the internet, 
at sexual images and videos. So these are, these are it was little problems. These are big problems, right? All right, take a step back, everyone. Take a deep cleansing breath. There's no such thing as a little sin. When I choose me and my wants over God and His declared will, I have placed myself on a throne and I have bowed down and worshipped myself. And I need to learn to see my sin like that. I chose me. I said, no. No. I won't do you. I won't do your way. I won't follow you. Are you honest enough to admit it? This is what it takes, my brothers and sisters, and anyone among, you, among us that doesn't know Christ as Savior. This is what it takes to be in harmony with the Lord, is to actually come to the place of honesty before the Lord, where we're willing to see our sin the way God sees it. And for me to choose me over God is idolatry. And so, alright, that's, that's, that's heavy. No, this is wondrous. Because the God who has made the provision for you through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the God who created you And the God who saved you is the one that knew everything about you every second of every day before He ever saved you. I can come to Him with openness of face. I don't have to put on a mask before God. I can admit it. He knows. He knows it already. And He has called me accepted in the Beloved. This doesn't make us take sin lightly. This makes us take sin seriously. And it also makes us willing when we sin to say, Lord, You already know it. I've catered to me again. I've chosen me again. Get to it. Bring it before the Lord. And you know what He'll do? He's faithful. He will do it every time. And He is just, He's made the payment, to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This produces a restoration of fellowship between us and God. What is the means that He forgives us with? It's the blood of Christ, right? What's the avenue to get there? Calling upon the name of the Lord. Basically, every day, You and I, as believers, are dealing in the Gospel. Every single day we're dealing in the Gospel. The basis of my forgiveness is the shed blood of Christ. The avenue to get there, how do I get that forgiveness? I come by faith. I believe what Christ has done. I I speak forth, honestly, truthfully, what is needed. And God does the work. We can't ignore our sin. We can't deny our sin. We can't deny God. It's foolish. This passage in 1 John chapter 1 gives us confidence 
in God's faithfulness to break down every wall that we have erected in our relationship with Him. If we confess our sin, He'll break that wall down because He is faithful and because He has provided a just solution for it. When we confess our sin to God, He cleanses us and restores a sweet, joyful fellowship with Him. And this fellowship has so many benefits. Our hearts are filled with love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. And of course, I skipped patience. Didn't mean to. Our hearts and our minds, when we've had that sweet fellowship restored, our hearts and our minds, they hunger and thirst after righteousness. This is a benefit of having been restored to fellowship. And then we'll be running toward the ultimate prize in the same direction as others who are walking with God. You see, this is what God does. When when people are in right fellowship with Him, two people in right fellowship with the Lord, how can their fellowship not be sweet? All right, take that to your home with you. You're having some problems with your spouse. Of course, it's their fault. If there's a breach in your relationship this way, there's a breach in your relationship this way. Oftentimes, we want to get right on this one and make a whole bunch of mess in the, in the midst of it where we really need to deal with this relationship here. When we have the log out of our own eye, we'll be able to see clearly the speck that's in our spouse's eye. If you notice, I think that's not unintentional how he talks about the log in ours and the speck in someone else's. You are the real problem. I'm the real problem. Look that way. Deal with this and with him. And you know what will happen. There's sweet fellowship this way. And at the very least, you can be offering to your spouse that sweet fellowship before the Lord and that sweet fellowship toward one another. That, that's the, the pathway. God gives us the opportunity to run in the same direction together. And in this way, our lives will shine and it will provoke opportunities for us to bring gospel ministry to people in our workplace as well. As much as it depends on you, you and I are to live peaceably with all.